Hey, it's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here. I'm your host, Mike Silva, on Sunday, May the 8th. Happy Mother's Day. Everybody's probably just decompressing after that exciting Mets victory over the Padres. Of course, you can uh, check me out on Twitter at MikeSilvaMedia. MikeSilvaMedia.com is uh, my website. And if you want to listen to this show on replay, MetsMorizedOnline.com is the site. Go to the Metsmorized Online Talking Mets tab. You can get the show on iTunes. You can download it. You can listen to the stream, whatever way you want. So, as I always say, terrific show we have for you. A little bit later edition of the podcast due to the late game, the West Coast uh, trip. Mets in the midst of an uh, 11-game trip, four games in, splitting the series of the Padres. Kevin Kern of the New York Post joined me prior to today's ball game, so you'll hear that segment in just a couple of minutes. Kevin, uh, always a favorite of mine, uh, had a nice uh, interview with the family that caught what other than Bartolo Colon's home run. So you'll, uh, you'll get to hear his reaction to what really has uh, maybe the old meme is that it broke the Internet, or at least broke the Mets blogosphere. And the Mets fans with uh, with that incredible home run last night uh, off of James Shields. So Kevin Kearney, you'll hear from him in just a little bit. Michael Barron of Mets Blog fame. You remember him from uh, Mets Blog. Michael had a site, Just Mets. Currently a free agent looking to get back into the game. Still a very uh, good guest, someone that will uh, wrap up the show with me later. We'll take some, some comments from the Metsmorized Online community. We'll get Michael's take. We'll, uh, we'll wrap a little bit about what's uh, been going on with the New York Mets as they are now four games into their 11-game West Coast trip. Like I said, a little, bit of a, of a little bit of the first test that's out there. Now, I'm going to make this short because I want to get to the, the, uh, uh, the Kernan interview. But like I've been saying, and I'll revisit it here right now, you know, really fun weekend against the Padres. Started out not so great with the Mets, who always seem to be sleepy in Petco Park. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the, the nice weather in San Diego, the Southern California laid-back lifestyle, the fact that they always seem to be in the midst of a West Coast trip, and who knows how the time zone change impacts with the way the travel schedule is right now. But they never play well in, in Petco and in San Diego. And you saw today, you were waiting for it to be another one of those devastating losses. It brought back that four-game sweep they had back in 2008. Think about it. The Padres weren't a great team in 2008, but they swept the Mets. I think Billy Randolph, right before he got fired, was swept. It might have been Tony Clark hitting a grand slam off of Billy Wagner at that point. Tony Clark, of course, who runs the Players Association now, but former Met, uh, former, Met, former Yankee, who's bringing some of that, those memories back as I was watching that eighth inning when Bastardo did his Houdini act, but when you have weapons in the bullpen and you got guys that miss bats, and you know Terry Collins uh, was with the, with the fact that Bastardo really doesn't have a lot of room for error uh, with the bases loaded, no one out. And he's the kind of pitcher that doesn't pitch with much room for error because he walks a lot of batters, gets behind, throws a lot of pitches. But he did his job, and then Familia makes, uh, you know, gets the save after that. And, and look, I probably have said a million times since the season started, why is Eric Campbell on this roster? He's a 4A player. And he goes out there, and, uh, and he saves the ball game with a great play at the end. The replay thing is driving me nuts. I, I like replay. I think it's important. But I almost feel like there needs to be uh, something looked at here in between the fact that, uh, you know, if you challenge and then there's a legitimate reason to look at replay later on, you don't have a chance. Every big play, and I know the Mets may have benefited from a bad replay call with the play at the plate, uh, earlier in the ball game, but it's like you have to hold your breath after every close play, and there's the game is over, and you want to celebrate, and you want to run off the field, and here it is. Well, wait, 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 wait. It's you know, let's let's review, and it was clearly an out, but it just it, it takes away something from the game. I know Darling was complaining about it throughout the, the, the broadcast today. I got to think there's a middle ground. I'm not sure I have the answer today on this podcast, but I think it's something that we should look into. But more importantly. Uh, the Mets are back in first place. Uh, they didn't play great this weekend, but they certainly uh, have some things that are starting to turn in their favor. Matt Harvey would probably his best outing, definitely his best outing of the season. This is not like the Atlanta or the Cincinnati outings. Harvey was much better today. Uh, he did catch a break, I think, on that play at the plate. However, I would say that Ploiecki, who had a, not an impressive game behind the plate today, very lazy on the strikeout with the pitcher up. I thought he, he, he could have. I know you can't block the plate anymore, but he could have done a better job with the tag at home plate to make sure that that was an out. 
that was clearly going to be an out if, if the tag was applied properly. And it looks like he still actually may – tough to say whether that call was the right call, but not an impressive uh, uh, inning by Polecki, which really cost Harvey. But, he, look, he got out of it. He went through six innings, gave up two runs, ten strikeouts. It looked a lot more like the Matt Harvey that we have come accustomed to. Still not pitching deep into games, but you could see he's coming into his own here. And I, I was thinking this week, and after watching Cologne on Saturday night, Harvey's the fifth starter on this team. And that's a damn good fifth starter to have, but Harvey's the fifth starter. I don't expect that to be the case as we get later into the season. But right now, that's, that's what it is. The one thing that is concerning me, and I want to thank Mr. North Jersey from the Metsmarize Online community, because he put together a great spreadsheet. Because last night, I'm thinking, you know, up until the Mets scored today a couple of runs, I believe three out of their four runs today were not via the home run. So only 25% of their runs today were via the home run. Cespedes with the solo homer. The Mets, every single run on this road trip was scored by the home run. And to date, going into today's game, 57% of their runs scored were via the home run. And I know what everyone's saying. Mike, why are you complaining? The Mets are winning Home runs are a way to blow games open. They're a way to, way to wreck games. They are. But Mr. North Jersey put together graphs since 2011, the National League yearly percentage of runs scored via the home run. And nobody, nobody, not a single team, scored 57% of their runs over the course of an entire season via the home run. Now, very early, smaller sample size. Last year, the Los Angeles Dodgers led the league in home runs. Percentage of runs scored at 44.5%. And you saw how the Mets shut them down in the postseason. The league average last year was about 36% of home runs scored by the home run. The Mets were almost 40% of their runs, 39.7%. The Cubs, 39.9%. Now, the, Mets, the Cubs were higher up in the league pecking order, so there you go. The two teams that were up more towards the top of the home run hitting portion of the, of the league were in the National League Championship Series. Let's go back and look. The Cubs in 2013, 44.4% of their runs scored via the home run. The Braves that year, 42.4%. The Braves were actually a good team, and that was a criticism of them. The criticism was that the only time they score is when they hit a home run. 2012, it was Milwaukee with 43%. So you can win. There is instances where teams are successful hitting home runs, but not at the rate that the Mets are hitting home runs. It's really an unsustainable rate. Maybe you started to see them today. I still think, look, they got 12 hits. They only scored four runs. They need to start to move runners along. They need to get two out hits. You saw a little bit about that today. Cabrera with a really big hit to drive in Matt Harvey after he doubled off the wall and almost had a home run. They need to be able to get runners in from third with less than two out. They need to be able to maybe get a walk, stolen base occasionally. I think David Wright's the only one that really at this point may be a threat to steal, maybe Granderson. Maybe a couple ground balls to get a run in. There's going to be times against good pitchers you're not going to be able to rely or wait for the three-run homer like Earl Weaver used to say. And it does concern me. And I know that you know when you hear Kevin Kernan in a couple of minutes, he's not going to agree with me on this. But it does concern me. It's way too high. And again, right now, going into today's action, the league average is 37%. The National League average, a team on the average, scores 37% of their runs via the home run. So it's not like it has to go down to nothing. The Mets are 20% higher than that, and I don't think it's a sustainable type of stat. So, again, when you're in first place, when you're playing well, you're always looking for things to worry about. I'll get into a little later with Michael Barron. I'm a little worried about Ploiecki and the catching situation. I think the bullpen is much improved. I've said that. Uh, but, obviously, utilization is something to look at. And, again, I think the bench, I mean, I talked about Campbell just before. The bench is something that they may need to look to clean up. But now with the Travis Darno situation, if it doesn't sound good, you're probably going to need a, uh, uh, a catcher at some point. Because I don't know if we're going to see Darno this year. It doesn't sound good. It does not sound promising, the uh, situation with the rotator cuff. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's get to the Kevin Kern interview. I had a chance to catch up with Kevin right before – the game today as uh, he was heading into the ballpark out in San Diego. We hear from Kevin later on, Michael Barron, formerly a Mets blog. He and I will uh, will chat a little bit and uh, talk about the Mets and uh, and after this, uh, what turned out to be 
a successful uh, trip to San Diego as they split the series and now on to L.A. and the rest of the road trip. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Of course, you can listen to the show every week on MetsMorizeOnline.com. Let's take a quick break. When we return, Kevin Kern of the New York Post. We'll be right back. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Long looking for his first hit of the year. He drives one. Deep left field. Back goes Upton. Back near the wall. It's out of here. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened. His first career home run. We're back. Mike Silva, Talking Mets podcast here, and I'm joined by one of my favorites from the New York Post. You know him on Twitter, at Where's Kernan, Kevin Kernan. Kevin, I hope you're doing well out in San Diego. Uh, Is it safe to say, after all the years you've been covering sports, that now you've seen it all after last night with Bartolo (laughs) Colon hitting a home run and rounding the bases? Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? Um, Yeah, you never know what you're going to see at a game, and... um, you know, this is why, on several levels, uh, this is why people still go to games. This is why it's important for media to still cover games and and, and send reporters and the Post to their credit. You know, not only to send Mike Puma, but they send me. It allows me to write a column that's up on Worst Kernan that, you know, uh, basically some really nice comments I've heard this morning from it because it's one of those stories, you know, you just uh, you tell a story and it's a great story because, uh, it, it deals with people, it deals with life, it deals with baseball. And I tracked down the people who caught the ball and their family and uh, wonderful people. Guy happens to be a high school coach. So it's funny how baseball works. Everything seems to go in a circle. You're, you're absolutely correct. And, look, I, I like all the sports, and you've covered more than just baseball. But these kind of stories, these kind of events, it seems like the game lends itself more to those kind of narratives. It makes it fun. I know, look, you've been critical. We, we talk so much about numbers and, uh, you know, percentages, and it's become more of a data-driven, uh, media-centric kind of situation. But th- this is what makes it fun. And I don't think you can get these kind of stories necessarily with the other major sports. No, you really can't. There's no way in the world you can because you don't have the connection with the other sports. I mean, the, the big thing with football, of course, is fantasy football. You take away fantasy football, you take away betting, it's, it's not nearly the same connection for, for most of the fans. And baseball has this incredible hold on people because you never know what you're going to see when Bartolo Colon hits the home run. And, it, you know, the, Mike, the great thing about that home run was it was a shot. It was not it was not a fluky swing. I mean, yeah, he ran into a fastball. Uh, James Shields didn't know what he was doing. That's typical James Shields on, uh, you know, giving one up like that, big game James. And, um, and, but it was, uh, it really was a great piece of hitting. He's worked hard at it. We'll never see it again. It'll never happen again. He, Bartolo himself called it the greatest moment of his career. And the, uh, you know, the, for the fans that were there, the family that caught the ball, you know, they have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and they were running around with the ball like it was, uh, you know, like any five and three-year-old would. And, and, and also the other part that makes the story special is the fact that, the family, it's not, you talk about data-driven. It was not a money-driven thing to give the ball back. All they wanted to do, the first thing you guys said was, um, you know, yeah, here's what I want. I want the Mets to win the World Series. So, you know, a great fan, great great connection. And, of course, at the end of the day, and this, I couldn't get too, too much into writing this because, uh, I don't know, you know, people don't know how the job works, but basically I had about 20 minutes to write that column. And um, 
you know, afterwards I was downstairs and, and the, fam- the family was outside with their friends and um, they all wanted to come down and meet David Wright and a couple other Mets and Bartolo, of course. And, and you should have seen that moment. They were all in the hallway. It was just a, a great moment. One of the friends was, uh, uh, he's going to be recently, he's got, he just got back and he's going to be deployed again over to Afghanistan. So it was uh, the father of that gentleman came over to me and thanked me for taking the time to spend time with those people. So you're right. This happens in baseball. It doesn't happen anywhere else. I'm joined by Kevin Kernan before the Mets take on the Padres in the series finale out in San Diego. Uh, speaking of home runs, Kevin, so one of the, 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 the scuttlebutts you see on Twitter and, and, and maybe, again, goes back to those data-driven type of uh, pieces that some like to write is, the percentage of home runs that the Mets, the percentage of runs they scored using home runs, it's almost sixty percent. Right. Is this a concern? They re, they remind me a little of those Yankee teams about three, four, five years ago, and I know one of those teams won a championship, where the criticism was if they don't hit a home run, they don't score. And then you saw in a postseason series against quality pitching, they didn't score. I know it's early. What is your take on all this? It seems like the Mets do have trouble driving in runners in situations where they can't get a long ball. Well, it's the easiest way to score. I mean, look at the – we just saw the Braves. You know, they need five hits to get a uh, – five singles to get a run. Uh, it, it, it's a fact. They do score by the home run, but that's, that's the way it's done, and well, that's the way they were built. This is no fluke. This is what they wanted. I personally like teams that can uh, run a little bit, put the ball in play like the Royals, uh, things like that. But, you know, we, we've, seen, we've seen players uh, develop here like Michael Conforto. And, um, you know, Cespedes, when he's on his game, uh, David Wright has become a little bit more of a, you know, a, um, you know, hit it to the gaps, uh, steal bases, which is ironic with his back um, uh, type of player to take his walks. Yeah, yeah, people, here's what I've learned through the years, Mike. People don't complain about anything because that's all they want to do is complain. And and most of it is data-driven by people who aren't dealing with the game and aren't around the people, so... You know, they, they 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 just don't don't get it. The Mets are built this way. Will it succeed? I think if you if you get a home run and you get a great pitch game in the playoffs, you win the game. It's really that simple. Um, they've also you know on the series just the other day, I talked to a few people. I was talking to Terry about this yesterday, and, and and some of the players and Syndergaard and all these guys. What what about the great play John Jay made the other day? That was one of the best plays I've seen ever. When he he ran from center field in the left center made, on the fly, made an unbelievable catch. John Rico was saying this too yesterday. We were talking about on Curtis Grandis's ball. That would have been a double or a triple. Uh, so that that would have been a, you know that would have been a run scoring opportunity in, in that game. Hit the ball hard, see where it goes. And if you're going to complain about home runs, you know, you know, I don't want to hear it. Go 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 somewhere else, please, because uh, you're going to complain about everything and and. And that's the other, you know, Twitter's a great thing. And a perfect example, Mike, is, you know, and the social media, obviously, Facebook and everything else. You can get your stories out to a different audience that maybe wouldn't see it. But it's also got its negatives. And you just got to take it all with a grain of salt. And, and that's what I do. Bottom line here is the Mets. One of the things that I thought going into the game, and I think this is fascinating, I think they lost. I thought for a degree they had lost their edge a little bit from last year. And, and I think they lost their edge right after the Cubs series, after that layoff. They were just happy to be in a World Series, and I talked to some of the players about that. But what I saw yesterday, and this is how the game works, that's why I think today's game is so fascinating, how it all ties together. By Cologne hitting that home run and by the reaction of the team, you know, how everyone was genuinely happy, everyone, all the Mets fans in the stadium were happy um, for him. You know, it, it kind of lifted a burden off the team, and they they played much more relaxed after that because – it's like Syndergaard told me. He said, you know, Bartolo reminds us it's a game. Sometimes we make too much of it, but it's a game. And I've even seen little things like familiar now when he's on the mound and if he gets in a little bit of trouble, all of a sudden he takes a, take a, takes a deep breath, steps off the rubber, and starts flipping the ball up like Cologne. So it's, it's really – Cologne is really an amazing character in so many ways because it's not only because he looks like a cartoon character, but his career. I mean, here's a guy who was involved in the steroid uh, mess, and – and came out of it unscathed and maybe handled it better than anyone in the history of the game. It's never even, you know, an issue anymore. So, so um, I think the Mets, you know, if they get the pitching, if they get the good pitching, they play some solid D, 
Um, I'm more concerned, to be quite frank, about about left-handers. You know, they haven't shown much against left-handers, and it's going to be, you know, that's why this next series will be very interesting. I think they'll see three out of four up in in L.A. when I'm I'm going up there tomorrow. And um, so I think that's their biggest concern right now from an offensive standpoint. Can they handle lefties via the home run or anything else? Because when you neutralize Conforto, you know, that that makes it, and Duda, obviously, that makes a big difference in their lineup. And you're probably not going to see uh, Travis Darno for a while. It doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. It doesn't sound good. They may be in the market for a veteran catcher. I know, I know Rene Rivera is, is, has got a good defensive presence, but uh, who knows what Plowicki offensively could give you over 162 games. It it sounds like this is not going to be uh, a, a quick fix. No, that's a great point, Mike. And I think, uh, actually, I think, uh, you know, they they've have uh, – you know, top of my head thinking about it because I was thinking about that late yesterday as well. Uh, you know, you got the kid, the guy, he's not a kid anymore, but you got the catcher in Milwaukee, LaCroix. Um, they've had a relationship with Milwaukee. They almost traded, you know, for Carlos Gomez last year. So, um, you know, it's, it's a question whether they have enough to trade nowadays because they, they spent a lot of their um, really, you know, blue chip prospects and whatever have come up or you know, have been involved in some trades. So I, I think, so I know, I think here's what's going to happen. They're going to, you know, he tried to throw, I guess, yesterday, still had some pain, discomfort. To me, that's very disturbing, very disturbing. And I, I think um, it, it almost sounds like it's going to be like a six-week shutdown and then go from there or a, um, you know, who knows what could happen. I mean, he's had, Travis has had nothing but bad luck when it comes to injuries and, um you know, you know it has to be bad because he's from right up the road in Long Beach, and the California trip uh, is always his favorite trip. And um, you know he he would have, he would have basically eight days in his backyard, kind of like Duda, and uh, eight games at home for his family and everything else. Because like the Duda family's on this trip, that he's from Riverside. So um, for him to um, you know talk about the pain, obviously, and and, and say he's not right, uh, that tells you. It makes it, it sounds makes it sound to me that it's even worse than they're saying. You talked uh, briefly before about maybe the Mets losing a little bit of their edge since the NLCS last year. The pitching staff they've been working things out. We know about the spring and the lack of work, and, and I wonder if and I, I wonder what your thoughts are. Is that why you see maybe these guys a little mechanically off? For pitchers that are are off, with the exception of Harvey and even Harvey. You'll take what they give you, but this is not the outcome. This is not the performance you expected from these young pitchers, with the exception maybe of Matt, who's been who's been pretty good after one stinker earlier in the year. Yeah, Matt and Syndergaard have been really good, and um, and Matt, to his credit, you know, he had to make some adjustments. He he was nitpicking in that first game. It, it was everybody talks about being rusty. It had nothing to do with being rusty in eleven days and whatever, and. Um, I know talking to scouts at that time, and it created a little bit of a, a hub, hubbub. But uh, um, everybody know, was mad at you for about a week. Uh, they're gonna, and they're let gonna, them be mad because you know they don't know. Time. Again, they don't know baseball. <laughs> let them be mad forever. You know what? And and that's fine. You know, it, it makes it so much easier with Twitter when you can just silence people too. With uh, you don't have to follow them. You know, you just have to mute them. But the bottom line was, you know, and the scout was a hundred percent correct. Now. He said if Matt can clean this stuff up, he might have to be demoted, you know, and, and work on it down there. To Matt's credit, he cleaned it up immediately. Didn't have to go down. Didn't have to do anything. So the scout may have been harsh on his where Matt's, you know, the motion type. Obviously, you let's see the same thing what they're doing with the Grom right now and everyone else. They're, they're letting them fix it themselves, and once they fix it themselves, they're fine. But for example, my if they if if Matt's had come out and had another stinker and maybe a third bad game, wouldn't you want him to fix that? And the best place maybe to fix it would be in the minor league. So, And for fans to, to jump on the, oh, you know, uh, he's just got a zero point. And media, too. There's some media types that don't know the game as well. It's, it's, that's the great thing about my job. There's so many people that know the, don't know the game. It makes it easy for me because I do know the game. And I've played the game. I know the, I know the uh you know, I talk to people uh, A to Z throughout an organization, from security to to front office. So, you know, I'm not always right, but most of the times I am. And um, and Matt's needed to clean it up. He cleaned it up, and he's been pitching great because of the adjustments he made. He, he changed his focus. He changed. Uh, he basically stopped nitpicking, and all of a sudden, and he and and this will really drive those people crazy. Um, 
I'm going to tell you something else. If he uses his fastball more in the inside corner, he'd really be unhittable. And that's uh, scouts have told me that as well, and I think he's starting to figure that out. But this is all things that a player has to figure out himself. And to his credit, you know, Stephen Mance is like Jake DeGrom. They're all great kids, and they're really working hard to get better. And he's done a fantastic job of uh, getting better, and I'm really looking forward to his start uh, Monday in L.A. And look, with the way Cologne's pitched, uh, you could make mm-hmm. the argument right now until he he, uh, he gets his stuff together. Harvey's your fifth starter right now. Out of all well, that the also pitchers, got Harvey's that also got me in trouble. Speaking of getting, see, when you write the truth, you get in trouble. That's the way that's the way the game works. <laughs> Well, it's not and, popular uh, that the Dark Knight becomes a no. daughter. I mean, and I in Atlanta, I saw this coming. I mean, again, that's again, I know the game. I'm ahead of the game. So, you know, and, and also Harvey takes himself way too seriously. You know, he won't even look at me now. So he'll walk the other way and look the other way, and that's fine. Let him be that way. You know, grow up. And um, um, but I was, and I'm sure it goes back to the column I wrote in Atlanta when he was okay, and he was talking about it was good to give the team some innings and. And we're talking about the Braves here. We're not talking about a major league team. So I had he hasn't that faced he, anybody with any kind of offense yet. Maybe Cleveland, no, he you hasn't. could say, but he, Maybe he hasn't. And he, you know, he he may fix it too. And then everybody will be, you know, then you'll get the the, the dopes on Twitter saying, "Oh, Curry said he should have been the third or fourth starter." The point was that the way he was pitching and the way he is pitching, exactly what you just said. You can make the argument that he's, and that's what I wrote. He's he's a very good three, uh, number three or four starter right now. And if he can't handle that, then show that you're not the number three or four starter and, and grow up a little bit and pitch better. So that's where we're at with him. Um, I'm sure he'll be pitching with a purpose today. And, again, we're talking about the Padres here. We're not talking about a major, a major juggernaut here. The Padres, uh, John Jay's having a great series. I mean, uh, that guy looks fantastic. The Padres, I will say this for the Padres, they have changed their um, – they're really taking a nice approach at the plate. They, they, they've taken a really nice approach at the plate. They, they're, they're almost taking that Royals approach, and uh, they're putting a ball in play, making some things happen. So uh, it'll be a nice little test today. But still, it's not like uh, you know, it's not like the top of the line. It's not like he's he's, he's facing the Cubs. Now, having said all that, I, I fully expect Harvey to do better as the season goes on and and to get it back together. I think the life in that arm will just he'll wake up one day and the life will be back in the arm, and maybe. Um, Maybe you know, even with the Cologne stuff, maybe maybe he'll relax a little. He's putting a lot of pressure on himself. That's what I really see. That's if we really cut to the chase. That's what I see. He's trying too hard. He needs to back it off a little bit, both how he approaches himself and the game. You make that argument based on what you said earlier. That that's something that the team may be now that they're the uh, the hunted. They're not this this team that came out of nowhere August first. That maybe they're in general. Uh, putting a little bit of pressure on themselves. And like you said, maybe this Cologne uh, uh, home run and some of the fun they're having, um, getting away from New York for the West Coast trip, hopefully, maybe that will we'll, we'll get them a little bit brighted as to where they were prior to the season when they, they played so poorly in spring training. And you pointed out, and it's always hard to wonder if spring training matters all that much because the Cubs didn't play all that great in spring training. So it would be interesting to see if, if, if you see a different team going forward. Well, I think you will see a different team going forward. And I think you – and in defense of the Mets, I don't think you can stay 100% at that top level like they were in, in that – they were phenomenal in that series against the Cubs. It all came together and they had the layoff. They were happy to be in the World Series, so they really didn't get it back together. And coming out of spring training, the main goal was to keep everybody healthy. Plus, you had you – had, what I saw out of spring training, it was a, it was a very um, uneven spring training because guys weren't together. It's about being together, and that's what's good about – even like one of the coaches told me, even that little trip to Cleveland straightened them out a little bit because they spent some time together. Because even when you're home, you're doing this, you're, you're involved with all these different things. Now when you're on the road for like 11 games, 12, uh, 12 days like they are now on the West Coast, and you have the situation like last night, you really come together as a team. And, and, and then everybody knows their job. That's, that's the bottom line here. Because of what was going on in spring training, and I think they had to run it that way, uh, they had to pull back, they had to let bodies heal, they had to let the pitchers get some time. And then you throw in uh, Jacob Devon having a baby. A couple guys are having, you know, their wives are having a baby, and so you know it's it, it's 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 more than baseball, and and it can't be 24/7 at the top of the game. But but there needs to be a gradual build, and I think that build is coming. And I think in their minds they think, okay, if we can get this together on this trip, then we got the Nationals, and we'll be right where we want to be because that, that'll the game runs on adrenaline a lot, Mike. And this is the biggest one of the biggest changes I've seen throughout the years. Don't forget. As I pointed out in today's column, 
you know, I saw Joe Carter's home run. I saw Kirk Gibson's home run. I saw Aaron Boone's home run. I was in the ballpark for all those. And then last night, Cologne. So I've seen a lot. And, and um, you know, throughout the years, and I've also seen when teams, you know, they have to get to where they need to be. It just doesn't happen overnight, and you can't sustain it. So so this is a, this, this is a period where the Mets are, uh, you know, I, I think this is uh, so far – even though they lost those first two games. In the first game, I don't care what you say, that was a classic uh, Major League Baseball with a terrible schedule they have now. That was a classic jet lag loss. I mean, they had no chance in that game. And uh, and they, they came alive in the ninth inning with a couple home runs. But uh, And then, then, then the, the second game, they didn't play great, but they played a little better. Now they played really good last night. So I think it's uh, this, this is a very – that's why I wanted to go on this trip, and that's why I wanted to – help the fans and, and, you know, to be able to point out all these things that I can point from being in the clubhouse and around the players as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe other media outlets who don't have the, the who don't spend the money and send their, send their people where they should be. Last thing before we let you go. So what can we expect from you coming up? More, uh, is it the – we got the Nationals, and, and obviously they're a different team under Dusty Baker. The Cubs continue to win. I know we, we will follow you on Twitter at Where's Kernan. The, the crazy shifts are something that drives you up the wall. I mean, what, what, what can we expect from at Where's Kernan, Kevin Kernan, over the next couple of weeks? What are you looking at? What's, what's taking your eye here with the, the game in general? Well, later in the week, uh, one of the things I'm really going to work on this week if I get time is, uh, you know, Syndergaard and, um, you know, his, what's making him who he is and, and there's pitch, certain pitch, pitches and things like that. Maybe uh, sit down with him, get some get some real answers and, and explain. Because this, this kid keeps continuing. I'm, I'm just so impressed. He's continuing to, to develop uh, across the board. So it'll be that plus daily columns. You know, I mean, you never know what the game's going to bring. could be a Bartolo. Imagine if he hits the second home run. If he, I almost asked it last night, Mike. But if he, uh, I, I was going to ask him. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, when your when your pitching career is over, is there any chance you'll be a DH? You know, <laughs> and you know, because uh, you know he could do that Julio Franco thing and, and probably play till he's uh, fifty. But uh, what an athlete he is, really. If you think about it, you know, he's the round man of baseball, and and um, and he can um, he can pitch, he can hit, he can. Uh, that he can entertain. The amazing thing was that the helmet never came off, you know, with the, with the whole. And, and he didn't see a fastball after that. She no, threw no, a curveball the rest of the game. Well, that's amazing. Well, and when I, before I go, I, I, when I was on the on the uh, Mets side, of course, and, and but uh, one of my friends over in San Diego side clubhouse, they asked uh, Shields about that. He he uh, he asked Shields about the you know in a nice way, yes, about the call home. And most guys would say, you know. Cologne as possible. Shields immediately retreated into the old next question frame of mind. So that tells you where James Shields is at right now. He needs to get out of San Diego and get his act together. Well, listen, enjoy the rest of the West Coast trip. I always appreciate catching up with you. Your columns are uh, are one of my favorites. And uh, be well, and let's catch up as the season goes on, all right? Okay, Mike, take care. Always a pleasure being on your show. And that's Kevin Kernan. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, at Where's Kernan, New York Post columnist like i said one of my favorites check him out a good article about bartolo cologne nice article also about daryl strawberry got a chance to catch up with daryl out in san diego let's take a quick break when we return final segment michael Barron. you guys remember him from mets blog uh, has a site called just mets will be joining me as we scroll through some of the comments from today's radio thread from the metsmorizedonline.com community We'll talk about the uh, the game, uh, the the Mets series against the Padres, the week that was, the week ahead, and uh, anything else related to Mets baseball. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll be right back. Gary and Howie are back, and they're looking for some competition. Think you have what it takes to beat the best at Mets trivia and win $5,000? Audition for the next Beat the Booth from home. For details on how to video audition online for Beat the Booth, check out SNY.TV today. We're back. Talking Mets podcast. Mike Silva here, and I'm joined by Michael Barron. You guys remember him, uh, his work over at Mets blog, big Mets fan. Uh, of course, you can uh, continue to follow him on Twitter. Michael, Mike Silva, how you doing? What's going on, my friend? 
Not much. Um, I'm just taking it easy right now. I'm trying to regroup and figure out what's next and throw ideas around, weigh those ideas and see what we can come up with. I'm not sure what's going to happen or when, but um, no, there's some balls in the air. Um, just Let's just say that, I guess. <laughs> So you and, and, and if you want to follow Michael on Twitter at Michael Barron, you can uh, get the Michael at Michael G Barron. Excuse me on Twitter. Uh, you're an unrestricted free agent, just like Tim Lincecum. So maybe you and he could go out there. He had his little uh, pitching seminar. You know, Michael Barron could get out there and do the same. It's not a bad deal. You you can come in half halfway through the season, like Clemens or those other guys, and you get to have the best yeah, part of the be season. A- you just none, none of the none of the the the, the early season uh, lulls. You, you get the best part of the season. And I'll be at full strength and um, you know ready to go for uh, a long run through October. So um, yeah, I'm, you know, perhaps. Uh, you know, Mets just coming off a really nice win uh, Sunday night here in San Diego, four to three. Basically, yeah. Antonio Bastardo doing a, a Houdini act. I was talking to Kevin Kernan before the game today, a piece that everyone just heard, and before today's game where the Mets actually had some some timely hitting and timely defensive plays too. We were chatting about the way the offense is going about scoring runs. Almost 60% of their runs are via the home run. Now, that, might not, that narrative might not fit the game that was just completed, but it's still a theme. I'm concerned. You know, Kevin kind of pooed it. Um, I know a lot of people will say, hey, no one is ever going to be happy. You know, the team scores runs, and, and that's all that really matters. And, of course, home runs are going to get you a lot of runs in a hurry. But I see a lot of feast or famine with this club. And it does concern me. Even today, four runs, they had 12 hits. And, um, you know, that's not a lot of runs for the amount of hits they had. So what are your thoughts? I have some concerns. G- give me kind of what you see as you watch, uh, as, as everyone who's listening to this does, you know, most of the, every game. I agree. I think it's a concern. I mean, like you said, it doesn't fit the narrative today because of what they scored. What Cespedes, did Cespedes homer? I can't even remember at this point. You said so many. Yeah, Cespedes did <laughs> homer, yes. Yes, yeah, he hit a home run, and then they had to kind of scratch and claw those other those other runs out. But, you know, they went three for 11 runners in scoring position. That's pretty much been the theme all year. They're hitting about 200 with runners in scoring position, which means they're having a lot of trouble moving runners around. You know, they're not a very good bunting team, um, and obviously they're not a very good situational hitting team. And I think it's partly why, you know, they had to wait. They don't have too many come-from-behind wins, and they had to wait until really the end of April to get their first come-from-behind win. So it's a concern, but like you said, you know, the scoring runs, they're winning. They're uh, they're now in first place, and they're among the best teams in baseball. They've been the best team in baseball along with the Cubs over their last 23 games. So, you know, it's really hard to argue with success, but, you know, the real question is when the home runs dry up and, we're already starting to see some of them dry up. Dude is off his hot streak. Granderson's off his hot streak. Walker's not hitting all of a sudden. Conforto's not hitting all of a sudden. You know, how are they going to be able to score runs if they can't hit home runs? And it's bound to happen. The season's too long for it not to happen. Um, but, you know, like yesterday, you know, they, they tacked on their insurance runs through home runs. They, you know, the Cespedes home run today obviously was a difference. And again, it's hard to argue with success. So um, it's a concern. We have to wait to see if it becomes a real problem. And, um, you know, really only time will tell, you know, the good teams always seem to find a way. And I think, you know, I think you'll even agree at this point, after all the yelling and screaming about the Mets that you've done, you know, that, uh, they're a really good team right now. So, um, we'll just have to see. I mean, it's, it's something that's worth watching. That's for sure. And this is how, this is how they were both successful and failures in the postseason last year. When the home runs dried up, they had trouble scoring runs and tacking on runs, and they couldn't compete with the Royals bullpen. Um, you know, cause is that going to happen again? And we're just going to have to see. It, interestingly, yes, the Mets lead the National League in home runs, but they were actually going into today's game slightly below the league average in average runs per game. The league average is almost yeah. four and a half, and the Mets are about 4.4. So just below league average, right there with the Washington National teams like Pittsburgh and San Francisco, Colorado, St. Louis, and, and Chicago averaging over six runs a game. I don't know if that's sustainable, but that's something interesting uh, just to, you know, considering how powerful the offense has looked at times. An interesting thing that Kevin said, uh, and I didn't think of it, uh, we were talking about the Bartolo Colon home run. And uh, look, I mean, you can't, you can't have much more fun than that home run, but he felt that the Mets, after beating the Cubs in the NLCS, 
lost their edge last year. They were happy to get into the World Series. And then we know what happened during spring training and the lull in spring training and the slow start. And even though they've been playing well, he felt they had lost a little something that maybe uh, Cologne and some of his, um, his antics, his love for the game, uh, the carefree way. And then here he is, he's going out there and hitting home run and how uh, now that they're on these longer road trips and they don't have the days off, they're spending some time together and they're starting to come together as a team. He felt that this would help. It was something interesting I hadn't thought about, but certainly a moment that if you have a highlight video at the end of the year, win, lose, or, or draw, Cologne's home run is going to be one of the top five uh, highlights, uh, non-playoff type highlights, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, do they lose their edge? It's hard. It's hard to tell. You know, it's 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 a question. It's that's a question. You know, it's your word against his, and I, I don't disagree. I mean, they obviously weren't the same team in the, in, in the World Series, but I also think the Royals were just a lot better than them. I say to this day, it's a bad matchup for the Mets. Um, you know, it's a it's a team of speed, contact, and defense, and I mean, the Mets defense has been surprisingly good to this point, but you know, it's that that seems to be the Mets kryptonite. You know, they can't seem to to contain that type of team. And it'll be interesting to see how they react to a team like the Cubs or, you know, a, one of the better teams that has, you know, some of those some of those qualities, um, you know, because they have a lot of trouble throwing out runners, you know, and containing the stolen base game. And we're starting to see that with, with Syndergaard. And that's going to hurt against some of the tougher teams like the Cubs who can win, you know, their offense can beat you in a lot of different ways. Um it's a, you know, I, it's it's like, but like I said, it's so hard to tell. And he knows the team very well. He knows the players, and um, you know, probably better than I do at this point, since I haven't even been in the clubhouse um, this year. But um, it, it it's so hard to to make. It's 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 not objective. And Sandy Alderson, of all people, will say, well, you know, you let's just look at the stats for the moment. You know, let's look at the way the bullpen performed. Let's look at the, you know, their speed. Let's look at their contact rates. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. Um, but, you know, I think to your point, though, I think it's important that they, they're finally in a rhythm playing every day. There's not going to be, you know, they had every Thursday off in April, not to mention that weird first week, which kind of, you know, the, the the most important thing for a baseball team, in a major league baseball team, is that they're playing every day, and they just weren't playing every day. So I think playing right now, although you know, albeit they're going to get tired, and they're going to Terry's going to have to, you know, throw get, figure figure some things out of the bullpen. You know, even tomorrow, since Reed has worked three days in a row, and Familia's now worked two or three days in a row, or whatever it is. You know, he's it's. I think it's good. You know, the team is gelling. Like you said, the Cologne thing really. It seemed like it kind of loosened them up a little bit yesterday, and I think it was, it was obviously a difference maker, but also probably a big reason they won and they played. And you know, they had to scratch it out a little bit today, but you know they they played a good, solid game. You know, and we'll just have to see if they can get that edge back. And um, you know, they're obviously one of the best teams in baseball, so it's hard to say they don't have an edge. But um, it's it's a funny dynamic that edge word. It, it, it can mean so many different things. So, um, and you know, Kevin's a friend of mine, but I don't exactly know what that means in the context of, of playing baseball, a game, which has become so weirdly scientific. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I, I get that now. Interesting. So one of the uh, posters on metsmaridonline.com, Mac daddy wrote an interesting, not really question, but a comment of going into Harvey start and, looking at it, and I'm saying, well, this, this actually is a little prophetic if you think about it. Um, you have to look at things in incremental fashion when it comes to Harvey. The first step was getting him to have consistent ball-to-strike ratio, so that has to be accomplished. Second step is to get him to have more control over his fastball and his off-speed stuff. But because the Mets were focused on his control element, the mechanics were simplified, making uh, things much more linear and less core rotation and extension on the backside. He goes, I would look for these mm-hmm. couple of signs, slightly more extension, a little more bite on his off-speed pitches, they might sacrifice location to get just a tad bit more velocity and action on his breaking stuff. Here's the interesting point he made, and this actually uh, was exactly what we saw. I would also figure that you see a little less slider action and more hard curve pitcher, curveball pitches. And I think you saw that today. You saw Matt Harvey. Again, this is not vintage Matt Harvey, but a lot more swings and misses. Yes, he got helped by potentially a bad replay call. Um, which really, if you want to take the flip side, Paul Wicke made a horrible 
play behind the plate, not blocking the strikeout yeah. uh, mm. right before that. I think you started this. If that, of all the starts, I see this as progress for Harvey. Not the Atlanta start, not the Cincinnati start. This to me was progress, even though it's against another below average hitting team. You got to feel a lot better about Matt Harvey after today. Well, sure. I mean, I think I think most important, most importantly, I mean, obviously the velocity was there. Um, the stuff was much crisper and much more dynamic and much more deceptive, but. I think what we what really led to all that was the consistency with his mechanics. You know, he wasn't rushing the plate from the stretch. You know, his, his arm slots were far more consistent. You know, he was coming from that classic over the top arm slot, which he had come. He was coming from all you know up until really the beginning of this year. Um, so you know, he's obviously made corrections and adjustments. Um, but was it vintage Matt Harvey? No, I mean. You know, you got to walk before you can run, but this was an excellent step. And, you know, it, it was against the Padres, who aren't a great offensive team, but, you know, he got hit around pretty good by, by the Braves the other night, um, you know, in the fifth and sixth innings, and that team is – they're terrible. So, um, you know, I don't know necessarily the opponent matters so much because if his mechanics aren't right and he's not – you know, his fastball is too close to the slider and his changeup in terms of velocity, like he's just not going to be particularly um, – deceptive out there which is which is the main art of any pitcher regardless how you throw so um you know he he's a concern because he it's taken him a long time to get to this point where it looks like he's finally taking that step forward that you look for really in the third and fourth week of spring training um and that could be you know my theory is is that all this is and you could throw jake Degrom into this too with his lack of velocity but and one of my theories or beliefs anyway are, you know, they, they had a, an unusual, an unusually long season last year, obviously. And as a result of that, you know, they slowed their, their work down during the off season. They delayed them in spring training. They didn't even get on a mound until the second week of the season. And, you know, assuming they're healthy and assuming, you know, the wear and tear didn't get to them, which obviously remains to be seen, you know, maybe they're just weren't, they just weren't ready. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's possible that they just weren't ready for the start of the season and they were still going through the recovery and really a spring training process. Um, you know, we have to see where they are in a month. I'd really like to see a good month, good four, five, six starts out of Harvey here, you know, much like today um, to really draw that conclusion. But I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of other people talking about that as a possibility that, you know, they just, you know, didn't have the proper preparation in the off season. They weren't ready for spring training. They weren't ready for the regular season. And maybe it's just going to take them a month to get their act together. You know, I think we all know it's there. I mean, we, we saw it with Harvey. You know, he's throwing 95, 96, touching 97 at times over this stretch. But he just didn't have that consistent, those consistent mechanics. He didn't have that consistent velocity as a result. And, you know, today, finally, we saw it. And maybe he's just up to speed. And this is where his season begins. So, Mets certainly need it, you know, because it was just one less question mark and what has been kind of a weird start for the rotation in general. And who would have thought, who would have thought that Cologne, actually, if you want to talk about performance going into today, is more of a higher in the pecking order than Harvey. You could make the argument yeah. that Harvey's the fifth starter right now. That's a pretty good fifth starter to have, and I don't expect that to continue. But if you had to make a choice going into today's game, who would you rather have the ball and you pull 10 Mets fans I don't know, a large percentage, if not all of them, and, and, and that's just how, how what have you done for me lately, maybe we are as a town, would probably say Cologne. That's the interesting thing. Yeah, it would, it would be Cologne or, or Syndergaard for sure. Um, and he's been their, their most consistent pitcher since opening. He's been their best pitcher. Well, I shouldn't say their best pitcher. It's probably a little unfair. But he has more wins than anybody else on the staff since he since he joined the Mets. It was in 2014. Was his first year? Yeah, in 2014. Yeah, 2014. And yeah. that's pretty much a 15 that's game. That's pretty year remarkable. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And most people don't know that, and most people don't respect that. And you know, he's he was a huge signing this this past winter, and he's already paying dividends. And you know, forget the home run, forget the entertainment factor. I mean, just think about how valuable he's been for not just winning baseball games the last, you know, seven in the last year plus of, of, of you know, in this run that they they appear to be on. But think about the how he's helped that bullpen grow and think about how he's helped 
other guys in the rotation, you know, just grow and become, you know, veteran pitchers right before our eyes, you know, and just from start to start, they're just growing. Without Cologne, maybe they're not as good as they are just in gen- just generally. Maybe they're, you know, six months behind from where they are now just in terms of their maturity. I think he's been huge for Syndergaard. I mean, I know that, you know, he's – I don't want to say – a mentor might be uh, a little bit of an exaggeration, but I know that they talk a lot and he's helped Syndergaard a lot. And, you know, considering there were questions about Syndergaard's pitching maturity and, you know, I know one reporter, you know, mentioned some of his mental maturity issues. You know, think about how important Cologne has been for all of that, if all that is really true. So, um, you know, I think he's – you know, they should retire his number. <laughs> you know, he's just been so important to the franchise and so important to this phase of the franchise and this, this phase of the evolution, you know, Sandy Alderson's team. And um, very underrated, very underappreciated, I think. I mean, people look at him, as, like I said, as being, you know, entertaining and amazing because he's 42 and just go out there, give up three runs and not blink an eye. But I think there's more than meets the eye to Cologne and a big reason why he's back this year. You know, I think he's... Very, very important for that clubhouse. You know, one guy's development that may take on a larger role than we expected was Kevin Plowicki. I mentioned he had a tough day behind the plate defensively. He looked a little bit better offensively. Not getting good reports about Travis Darno uh, and his shoulder. Anytime you hear a rotator cuff and a catcher, you start to cringe. Uh, there's yeah. even a possibility that at some point this year, if, things, if, if Darno is out for an extended period or the year, and I think that's something that we're not at yet, a point we're at yet, but I think that that's something that has to be in the back of everyone's mind. Will the Mets be able sure. to take some of the assets they have left and now go out and get a veteran catcher? I mean, uh, Jonathan Lucroy is a name that some of the Mets community have already bandied about on Twitter. It's never too early to make fictitious trades uh, on Twitter or uh, in the forums. Uh, what are your thoughts? You've seen, you watch a little bit of Pulwecki. I like Pulwecki. I'm a little disappointed in some of what I've seen behind the plate. I know he's still evolving with the stick. He's been thrust now into a full-time role, which maybe he's not ready for. There's not a lot of options after him. Uh, Rene Rivera is a good defensive catcher, can't hit. I don't think Johnny Manel is more than a 4A player. It's it's an interesting situation. It's it's still a little bit early, but it's something to bear watching. Yeah, you know, it's it's something I've been, you know, I've been a lot of people brought up to me about the catching situation, both you know, social media and just offline as well. And I mean, I agree. It's I don't know that there's an easy answer out there, you know, because the situation with Travis is so uncertain. Like you said, the rotate shoulders are just a complete mystery and really a wild card. I mean, he could be fine in a month, or he we could have he could be out for the year. Like we just don't know. Um, and aside from that, like, you know, his defense, you know, and, and his, well, just his game in general, I mean, he was actually off to a pretty good start defensively just with the throwing, but, um, you know, as he had hardly hit since uh, the beginning of the season, maybe the shoulder had something to do with that. Um, but you know, the, the injury question with Travis, I mean, it's been his, it's been his great barrier. It's been his big barrier his entire career. And it's put Plawiecki really in a spot where, like you said, he may not be ready to handle a full-time role, and it's yet to be determined if he's even a full-time player. You know, remember, he played, He was a full-time catcher for the Mets three months ago. Uh, I'm sorry, three months ago. Last year for three months. Sure. So, you know, and he really – he didn't hit hardly at all. And, you know, Terry even recently has made comments about, like, waiting for it to happen with Plawiecki here. And he's a great guy to suit into the game. You know, he's hit at every single level in the minor leagues, but, you know, it has yet to happen here. And, you know, it's not as if he's hasn't gotten an extended look either. Um, I think his bats looked a little better in the last two days, but it's a small sample. You know, there's no way to know what any of that means. Um, but, you know, he's, you know, he's got a line drive type of swing, and I think there are too many swings and misses, and he chases a lot outside of the zone as well. So, you know, there's still a lot of work for him to do. And obviously his his defense. You know, the Mets have been encouraged over the last few years about his improving defense, but that's really the word that they've that they've used to describe his defense. They they view him as an offensive oriented catcher because they feel eventually he's gonna hit, but the defense will be what it pretty much what it is, and that's gonna be, you know, spotty, hit and miss, you know, he's gonna throw some guys out and then he's gonna roll some balls to second base like we've seen. 
Um, and they, they've accept, they'll they'll accept that if he you know if he hits the way they expect him to hit. It just hasn't happened yet. And, and like Terry said, like when is it going to happen? And how long can they be? How long can a championship team put up with the two seventeen slugging percentage from their from the catcher spot? It's that's a fair question. So or whatever it is, it's up a little bit from. <laughs> yep. So before I let you go, what are some of the things you're looking for in the next few weeks? Uh, give me some storylines, what you feel are things that you'll be watching, things that you think the Mets fan community should be watching as a uh, second lag of the West Coast trip and then the games at the Nationals come into play. So a busy month of May uh, for the next few weeks ahead of us. Well, you know when – they're playing the Nationals. We're going to hear stories about Walker versus Walker versus Murph, and um, you know that's just the way it goes around here. It's going to be interesting, interesting to see, you know, how Walker bounces back to see if you know he's going to regress a little bit. I think that can be expected. You know, now he's dealing with a little bit of a bruised leg, and you know how this injury kind of you know, it impacts his, his production really on both sides of the ball because I think he's overachieved to this point, even defensively. Um, you know, his defense has been outstanding, but he's not really known to, you know, he's he's known to be a steady guy. He's going to catch what comes to him, but, you know, he's shown a lot of a lot of range and that could, could be fresh legs at the beginning of the season. You know, is, is he going to, is his leg injury going to impact that range, you know, going left to right? Um behind the bag and towards her space. I think that's a fair, something to watch. Also, I think, you know, I think the bullpen, while under, I think it was an underrated aspect of the team coming into spring training in the regular season, but I also think they've overachieved to this point. You know, they have the fourth best ERA in baseball, and that's with Bastardo stinking it up for the first five or six weeks. So um, it would be interesting to see how, you know, how the league adjusts to Robles, you know, who's been outstanding. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Blevins, you know, what Blevins' stamina is, because remember, he's hardly pitched in the last two years. Um, and obviously, you know, David Wright, what's going to happen with Travis Darno, you know, the injury bug. But, you know, in general, I think the Mets are just going to keep building from here. Um, they got off to that real rough start. They had kind of a disappointing week this past week, just with, you know, that lackluster loss to the Braves and two losses to the Padres. But, I, you know, I think they're going to, I think they're ultimately going to be fine, and you know, hopefully, this is the last day we're saying the Mets jumped into first place. Um, but you know, they they have to stay healthy, and the bullpen needs to stay straight. I think for that to happen, um, and you know, it'll be interesting to see how you know if Jacob Degrom's arm strength starts to grow, and if Matt Harvey can build off of what we saw today, which was an outstanding Matt Harvey, not maybe again not vintage Matt Harvey, but an outstanding start for Matt Harvey, and he's got to be encouraged after that for sure. And, so can you put five or six starts together heading into June where he's lights out Matt Harvey again? You know, that's something to watch as well. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. You've been generous at your time here on a Sunday night. Uh, let's catch up again. Be well. And I'm looking forward to seeing you when you uh, sign your big free agent deal. All right. We'll be keeping an eye out on that, <laughs> on those, uh, on those, uh, those back of the field spring training type locations that you throw in your, uh, your repertoire for the scouts to see. All righty, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's Michael Barron. You can check him out on Twitter, at Michael G. Barron. You have, of course, of uh, Mets blog fame, and I'm sure he'll find a, a home soon. Always a friend to the Mets community. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, final thoughts wrapping up right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. I'd like to thank Kevin Kern of the New York Post. You can check him out on Twitter, at Where's Kernan. Of course, I want to thank Michael Barron, at Michael G. Barron on Twitter. You can check me out on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media, MikeSilvaMedia.com. Of course, you can check out the show on replay every Sunday at MetsmerizedOnline.com. 
Have a great Sunday evening, everybody. Road trip continues, West Coast trip. I will see you next week, and happy Mother's Day. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio.